Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style Here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network This is your host, Jeremy Donovan Joined always by my co-host, the young boy, Josh Smith. We've got a jam-packed show tonight. We're going to be, we have uh, mailbag questions. We're going to be talking about the two Road to Tokyo Dome shows, Lionsgate Project 10, and all the big news going into Wrestle Kingdom 12. And we're going to start off with the mailbag questions, Josh. We have a few questions in the mailbag this week. Nice, man. I'm glad that we uh, actually had some listeners uh, give us questions this week. (laughs) And uh, I'm excited to see what people are asking us, uh, get our opinions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So first question comes from Ricky and Clive. You can find the Ricky and Clive wrestling show here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. They say, in your opinion, what makes New Japan so different to WWE? More creative freedom to give to wrestlers, less third parties to satisfy, shareholders, TV companies, or something else? Whew. What a question. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast about just this question. What's the difference between the WWE and New Japan? Man, uh, so, I mean, I don't have, like, a canned answer to that. Do you – You have, I mean, I have, uh, like, a lot of little things that I can point out. Right. I mean, I, I would say the, the probably the biggest thing is New Japan – treats it like it's a sport like it's a legit sport mm-hmm. and the whole country of japan treats it like it's a legit sport i mean it's covered in the newspaper it's covered in all the big sports uh journals um, you know these guys are athletes they're respected as so the product is treated like a sport wins and losses matter yeah uh, I, I would agree with that it's it's interesting that you say that it's sports style because you know, when you watch it, there's still the sports entertainment aspect to New Japan Pro Wrestling, but you know that that's the, that comes along with the territory of you know worked wrestling. You know what I mean? But at the same time, they still treat it with a sense of gravity or like a sense of realism. That even though like I'm sure everyone over there knows that it's a work because it's presented and treated as though it's you know something that's a little more serious and prestigious. The way that maybe like. I don't know if WWE has ever been like a sport, but it definitely, I mean, there's a big difference like 15, 20 years ago to how it was treated and, you know, uh, as to how it is now. Or, you know, it's a good analogy. Not that it's exactly the same, but uh, like Jim Crockett and the NWA, I mean, they had all sorts of crazy gimmicks, things like that, but it was still sport centered wrestling product versus, you know, the outlandish like cartoon characters of like WWE, that sort of thing. Exactly. And there's a big difference in the in ring style. You know, we we call our show keeping it strong style. I mean, strong style, that's the what they wrestle in New Japan and pretty much all Japan promotions. You know, that hard hitting, a lot of grappling. Um, You know, WWE doesn't do like the same it's not the same at all i mean yeah i mean you really have to um i mean (laughs) to kind of draw the comparisons between the two it's or like the differences is kind of crazy but you know new japan at this point in their history they're so heavily influenced by um two main things one would be inoki's uh antonio inoki the founder his theory of what uh strong style wrestling was supposed to be and he was his entire idea was to present it as though it was a sport. In fact, it was a precursor to what uh, became MMA, and it was wrestling that was supposed to be presented as a real art form that w- that centered on grappling, as like real shoot grappling and heavy strikes mixed, you know, coming from like karate. Whereas like the North American style of wrestling is. Uh, 
it, it's not this it's not like that you know what i mean and then uh the other the other big like influencer on new japan modern times at least in the heavy heavyweight division is you know uh the changes that came over from all japan during the 90s with the king's road style and what we had uh, the king's road style like with the guys like mizawa kenta kobashi uh kiritawa um kawada uh junakiyama all those guys who were doing you know some of the best wrestling in the history of the sport and that heavily influenced the type of wrestlers that you see nowadays and it's almost like what we call strong style isn't what like inoki was doing in the 70s and 80s but altogether that idea of strong style this hard-hitting realistic type wrestling that's the biggest difference is that it is intense in your face um you know they don't pull punches the way that they do in right. WWE. I mean, guys do really get hit in New Japan. Like, if you have a, a trained eye, you can watch a WWE match to kind of tell where some strikes are kind of pulled, or maybe they're not hitting as hard as they possibly could. I mean, you watch a New Japan match, especially if you watch guys like you know uh, Suzuki or uh, Ishii. I mean, they're going at it. I mean, they're hitting you hard in a safe spot, but they're they're taking it to you. There's other big uh, differences. For instance, you know, WWE is a content-based, episodic TV-producing wrestling company, whereas New Japan doesn't have a weekly television program that they're producing. They do tours. Right. New Japan kind of follows the old method where the uh, the house shows are kind of the big deal. It's all about the tours. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about the TV. The tours and the house shows build to the big shows. Right. And that's how it kind of used to be back in the day before... You know, you had your Monday Night Raws and your uh, Nitros and Impacts and all that stuff. You know, people would have to go to these house shows to see what was going on and keep up with that to build up to these big, bigger shows. Uh, New Japan, the, the focus is on the wrestling. Um, you're not going to turn on any show at any point in the year with New Japan and get a 15-minute talking segment at the start of a show. It doesn't happen. Uh, you do get promos, but they are usually either... It's very it's very rare when you do get a, a promo when it happens it's very important like uh, even we're going to talk about here recently Tanahashi came out for a promo and he was making an announcement uh, guys really only come out to like make announcements of future matches to set up angles or um, after a match to like celebrate a victory uh, most of the promo work that they do end up doing is presented at press conference type scenarios after the matches or before a match very rarely are you going to see two guys give verbal jabs in front of each other for like 30 minutes to, or like, you know, 10, 15 minutes to start a show. It just, it doesn't happen. But that's a huge difference. Right. Another thing, there's no like on-screen authority figure. There's no right. general manager, commissioner, whatever you want to call it, that's going to come out and, you know, become the star of the show. You know, uh, New Japan has the IWGP, which is the governing body that makes the title matches. Quote, unquote. <laughs> quote, unquote, governing body that makes all the decisions. I mean, that would be the equivalent to their kind of general manager authority kind of thing. It's kind of like uh, when Jack Tenney was in charge. Right. The golden age. <laughs> um, and so you don't have any of that. And so... I mean, I mean, we can go on and on and on about all different differences. I mean, I, I'm having fun. This is a. I didn't think I would enjoy this question as much, but there's there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, oh, uh, well, another thing. This is kind of interesting. There's very few gimmick matches. They almost exclusively do straight wrestling matches. Right. Um, I mean, this last year was the, the first time there was a ladder. Was that last year or two years ago? The first time there was a ladder match. It was with it was Kenny Elgin. Omega and Elgin yeah. for the Intercontinental Title. Yeah, that was different. That was the first time they ever did that. Um, they've never had a cage match ever <laughs> in New Japan, and very rarely in Japan do they even have them, which is interesting. Um, Definitely no stairs matches. <laughs> what's a stairs match? You know, and, and you know, sometimes with TLC they do tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. No. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you've never seen a stairs match? There's a reason I'm hosting a New Japan podcast, man. <laughs> um, there, oh, uh, something else. So you asked us about the creative freedom given to the wrestlers. There is creative freedom. So, I mean, obviously there's bookers, um, but there's not agents laying out the matches for these guys. So they are responsible for setting up their own matches, their own spots, and to construct a match the way that they see fit. They're not being micromanaged. Yeah, and nobody's handing them a script saying, hey, read this tonight. Yeah, there's no scripted promos. I mean, their promos, I mean, I'm sure uh, Ghetto and Jado say, hey, here's a bullet 
bullet points and then those guys just go out and you know freestyle the promo and make sure they hit the bullet points that ghetto gives to them uh the the face and heel alignment although it does exist because of the sport centric nature of what they do it's much more um blurred right there are a lot of times that you will get uh face versus face heel versus heel because i mean you're trying to see who the best guy is it's not always the good guy versus the bad guy i mean Heel, both heels want to be the top guy, then you're going to have two heels fighting each other. I think at this point, it's pretty much established that like their champion, Okada, being the ace, is essentially a face for the most part. But there was a period there, like a year or two ago, where he was still transitioning and he was kind of a heel. And it kind of depended on who he wrestled. He would transition from face to heel, depending on the feud. And there's a lot of guys who are in that similar situation because... Um, it's not always so much a good versus evil as much as it is like the the contest of who is the better wrestler essentially just like in regular sports there there there's guys who are ultra evil guys who are ultra good and then you got a lot of like shades right. of gray there it's almost kind of that thing where like the fans you know they're they're not always booing or cheering the good guy bad guy they're picking like their favorite team quote unquote their favorite person to get behind so like for example this whole the Akata Naito rivalry which we're going we're going to talk about a little bit more later on this show but you have Okada, who's pretty much a babyface, Naito, who's a heel. But if you listen to the crowd reactions, it's pretty much 50-50 with people, half the crowd cheering for Okada, half the crowd cheering for Naito. Talking about crowds, that's another thing to think about. So this is just Japan in general. It's not even really the way the company has established things, but culturally, you'll notice a lot of matches are pretty quiet and as an American fan it's almost jarring the first time you see it because you think that the maybe the, and you'll notice the match is really good and the crowd's quiet and you don't understand what's going on and it's because they they have a uh, and it's not always like this but a lot of the times they're respectful of the performers so they sit in silence to almost just be respectful and then they pop for the the big moves and the things that actually get them going when you actually hear a, a New Japan crowd get like heat or like you know go crazy, go crazy then you know something major is happening because they don't always do that and it's uh it's a it's a big deal actually over there you know it's something pretty funny um you know there are some american fans that go to these shows and i was watching uh power struggle on access earlier today uh the u.s title match with kenny omega and trent beretta and the one of the table spots they did you can hear the american fans going holy shit holy shit holy shit like the five of them and you know japan fans don't do that <laughs> no they, they did it during the uh they did it uh at last year's uh, best of the super juniors with the ricochet and uh osprey match yeah and hearing hearing japanese fans do that at cork and hall is so great i remember being like are they really chanting this right now um oh another thing uh so there is a large there is a really big emphasis on tag team wrestling or multi-man wrestling um the top stars throughout the year very rarely wrestle one-on-one and when they do it's usually only in match matches that mean something or title matches things that have title content or tournaments um i I was even reading something on reddit today someone put out a post about the top six guys in new japan and their win and loss records and you know i think it was like okada had like 18 maybe 19 singles matches that the whole year on record because they only wrestle one-on-one on on the big shows throughout the rest of the year it's multi-man matches and that's how their business is set up and that that saves your big matches you don't exhaust all your big one-on-one matches and uh, something else you mentioned tournaments Uh, new japan does a lot tournaments yeah that's another Uh, you know you have the g1 climax in the summer you have best of the super juniors Mm -hmm. you have uh, special super juniors tag you have the world tag league we just finished you have all these big tournaments in wwe i mean they used to be king of the ring they don't really do that anymore every once in a while you'll have like a gold rush tournament when they need to determine a number one contender or a champion but it's not an emphasis. Vince, Vince McMahon hates tournaments. <laughs> I mean, that's been very clear. You know, Pritchard's mentioned it, and several other ex-writers have mentioned that that Vince does not, does not like tournaments. Um, speaking of titles, their titles are treated with extreme respect and prestige, uh, all the way from the top where you have the IWGP title, which is essentially their world title, going all the way down to the six-man never tag titles, which is essentially their like that'd be like their European or hardcore title, essentially. Um, 
even that is treated with a lot of respect. It is it's a big deal to get a title push of any sort. Right. And they they keep track of the number of champions. Yeah. And, and title defenses. Right. Uh that's a big difference. You know, in WWE you've got the champion will go on tour and he'll wrestle the house show tour for Raw or SmackDown and defend the title like twenty times or something. You're not gonna see that in New Japan like a title, a title defense is going to be documented. It's going to be on tape, and it's going to be a big deal. And it's going to be recorded. It's recorded. If you go on like Wikipedia, you can see how many times Hashimoto defended his title, or how many times, you know, Fujinami or Vader defended the title, and that's how they decide who has the most prestigious title runs and who was the most successful champions. Uh, just like in real sports, like boxing, you can tell how many people, how many times someone had a successful title defense. It's a big deal. In WWE, we have no clue how many times someone defended right. the belt. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, those house show loops, they end the show, you know, with you know AJ Styles is defending against Jinder one weekend. He's defending against Rusev. He's defending, you know, all these title defenses. But, you know, WWE, what happened on the house show, they don't want us to keep track of. They only want you to keep track of what's happening on TV. New Japan, everything's important. Um, something's not going to happen on the house show that they don't want you to know about. Right. Two other things, and I know there's a lot we've already covered. We'll probably wrap this up. Two things I, I just want to mention. One, actually three. One, um, this is kind of interesting. New Japan has no women wrestlers on their roster. They've partnered in the past with some of the Joshi women's wrestling uh, companies, but they almost have no women's wrestling matches ever. Um, another thing is the junior and the heavyweight uh, division. Right. Well, I mean, WWE now brought back the cruiserweight division, but it's not it's, the same. It's treated differently. Cruiserweights in WWE, they're treated like the redhead stepchild. Um, they don't, you know, give them enough TV time. They're treated as lesser stars. They're pretty much, you know, trapped in their own little segments, and the crowd doesn't care. Right. In New Japan, even though the juniors are separate from the heavyweights, the division they're treated still still treated like stars. You'll get a pay per view with the junior title as the main event. Kushida will defend the junior title in the main event against somebody. Like that can close a show in Japan. Yeah, and the other thing too is like it's sort of it's because of the sports centric nature of what they do. Um, being a, a junior literally just has to fa- to do with the fact that you're a smaller guy, and that's about it. It doesn't have to do with the fact of whether you're a lesser star or a bigger star. Just like how in in MMA, you know, George St. Pierre is not a heavyweight, but he's a big star. You can be a big star and be a junior. You just happen to be in that weight class, and that's that's how it's always right. been. Right, it's like that's sports based. You know, it's right. all about your the weight class. Yep. And you do have guys that move up weight class, like Kenny Omega. He right. used to be a junior. He moved up to the heavyweight division. Most countries um, where wrestling is prominent, you know, not all of them have weight divisions, but heavyweight is always seen as like the major, you know, title. And, and that's no different in Japan. But like in Mexico, for instance, the heavyweight division is almost nothing. And the best stars are like the middleweights, the welterweights, the lightweights. And that did kind of care. You know, Mexico does influence Japan a lot. And that's why they have such a vibrant uh, junior division. Um I mean, probably like historically, there's been no better junior division like throughout wrestling history than New Japan's. Um, winning their title means more than almost winning any other cruiserweight division title that exists out there. And the final thing uh, is the factions. Yes, that's right. Uh, New Japan, they are big into factions. I mean, there was a, a point in time where Vince was big into factions, but that's kind of changed. Um, you know, we have in New Japan, there's Chaos, Bullet Club. LIJ, uh, Taguchi Japan, Chaos. You have all these factions, you know, it's this like team mentality. Everybody, yeah. they're fighting for their team when they go out there. It, it, it reminds me of a lot. I don't know how many of our listeners watch MMA, but you know, when guys are like on American Top Team or the Black Zillions or, you know, they fight for their team, they represent, you right. know, it's like their training camp. Like, their training camp, exactly. Right. That's sort of what a stable is like. It's not necessarily a bunch of guys that come out and cut a promo and, and jump guys like the Four Horsemen, even though there is some of that in yeah, New Suzuki Japan. Suzuki Gun. Suzuki gun and they have heel factions and stuff like that but essentially it's so that d- throughout the year when they have their tag matches people have partners to partner with and train with and travel with 
and it's not so much about like uh, I don't know like DX running amok or something right like that, or the NWO you know for example you know a guy like Ishii he's a member of Chaos I mean you're not gonna always see him in a big uh, you know group promo with Okada and Yoshihashi and Goto he's going out there in a one on one match he's out there to win but he's still representing that Chaos brand and, you know, you asked us about the shareholders, TV companies, things like that. I don't think we can, uh, with a lot of authority or certainty, cover that aspect of it. But I will say, um, you know, I don't know. I think that they're they're not necessarily a publicly traded company. I think they they were owned by Ukes. And then I forget the company that, that has the uh, controlling interest in them now. But the, the, the bottom line with... Uh, New Japan is they've got the best in-ring product when it comes to wrestling today. That's why we cover it and we like it so much. Um, it, it's because the focus is on pro wrestling and the biggest difference there is what, Jer- just to recap what Jeremy had said earlier, WWE's, even though they're a wrestling company and they're the biggest out there, their biggest uh, focus is not always on the wrestling. It's on a lot of other things too, you know, so. Right. That's it. That, I mean, there's a lot more we could cover, but that's those are some of the more... Right. And Ricky and Clive, my advice for you guys, I mean, watch Wrestle Kingdom 12 and then watch WrestleMania this year mm-hmm. and you'll see the differences. Yeah, Wrestle Kingdom is a great way to get into, to start the year getting into New Japan because they're going to have the best matches of the year. Generally, everyone works the hardest, just like a WrestleMania, but even more so on Wrestle Kingdom, as crazy as that sounds. And, um, you know, it's a great way because you, you get to see the, the culmination of all the stories of the year and then you can watch New Dash, uh, New Year's Dash the next day and then, you know, follow it if you like it. If not, no worries, just, you know, right. uh, but at least get some uh, exposure to it because it's really good. Yeah. All right, so the next question comes from Rich Latta, the host of One Nation Radio here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, also writing on the main page on lordsofpain.net. He says, we're going to get Jericho versus Naito, aren't we? And so for those of you that haven't been following, Jericho and Naito have been going back and forth in the media and on social media about this whole issue about the main event. You know, um, you know, originally Naito, he won the G1. He's challenging Okada for the, the heavyweight title in the main event of the show. But along comes Jericho challenging Kenny Omega for the U.S. title. And it's now a double main event. New Japan is promoting it as a double main event. Jericho and Omega are promoting it as a double main event. And Naito does not like that. And keeping it strong style, we are clearly promoting one of those matches. If you caught our last episode, we had a really freaking awesome intro. Good job on that, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, this has been really interesting. I mean, the question is, are we going to get Jericho Naito? I guess the real question is, are we going to get Jericho again after Wrestle Kingdom? Period. <laughs> right. And for those of you who don't know, Jericho, he's actually signed on to wrestle the next night at the New Year's Dash show, which is always happens the night after Wrestle Kingdom. It's almost like the Raw after Mania. Well, I, you know what? To be honest with you, I've, I wasn't sure if he was going to wrestle it. I'm not surprised. Most of the guys that work the Tokyo Dome always work New Year's Dash the next day, even if they're not like an official signed New Japan guy. Um... There was a, uh, I can't remember if it was an interview or podcast, well, essentially the same thing, but they were talking to Jericho this week, somebody was, and they said something about him only wrestling, you know, uh, one match in Japan, and he said, I never said I was going to wrestle one match in Japan, I said I would wrestle one match against Kenny, and he kind of just left it at that, which would lead you to believe, oh, maybe he's playing it close to the vest, is he actually planning to work in Japan again, Um, but then... There's deniability there. Jericho likes to work people and keep them guessing. Maybe he just meant that he's working, you know, New Year's Dash the next day and that's it. Or maybe there's something more to this. And uh, this whole thing between him and Naito is actually the building blocks to another feud. I mean, if who knows? What if Naito wins the title and Jericho's his next title challenger? I mean, right. I, I don't know. You never know. I mean, honestly, at this point, I would not be surprised to see Jericho versus Naito. I would. I would. Really? <laughs> I mean, to a degree, like, uh, I was surprised that Jericho came, is here at all. Right. Well, I mean, at this point, I mean, we saw how it all started with Omega. It started with them going back and forth on Twitter and the media. 
So same thing's happening now with Naito. The seeds are planted. I get it, but I'm still. I would still just be surprised because in my mind, Jericho's still a Vince McMahon guy, and at the end of the day, he knows where his bread is buttered. And I would really be surprised to see him stick around any longer than this one show. Maybe I. Maybe I'm stupid, and I shouldn't be so surprised about. You know, Jericho can do whatever he wants, but. Uh, I would be surprised. I'm not saying that it can't happen or it won't happen. And I think most of us at this point, we don't want to get worked by Jericho anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We don't, we don't want to get the wool pulled over our eyes. So, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say that. I think it really depends on how things go at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, or maybe they've already got a deal signed. We have no idea. We got no idea. We got to watch and see. But I mean, it sounds like, Richard, I mean, you tell us, bro. It sounds <laughs> like you uh, think that Jericho and Naito are going to have a match. I mean, it could be. It could be. We also got one more question from Rich. He asked us. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> bro, you don't get to come on our show and ask two questions. <laughs> Skip it. Nah, right. go ahead. So he asked uh, about Cody Rhodes. Is he good? Yes or no? Of course. I think he's good. He's not great, but he's good. Uh, well, he could be great. He could be great. Um, I mean, he's definitely gotten a lot better since he's left WWE. He's been having a lot better matches. And, um, you know, he just had a, a title, run, title run as a Ring of, Ring of Honor world champion, which he just lost at Final Battle. I mean, I think what Rich is really asking us is, is he good in the ring? I mean... Is he good enough to be in New Japan, or fight on New Japan? I think he's good enough to be in New Japan, of course. Uh, is he? Can he get over New Japan? It's the big question. I mean, he doesn't really fit the mold of most uh, famous gaijin that have been over there. You've got super uber athletic, like junior type uh, wrestlers, including Kenny Omega. Who Kenny's not a junior anymore, but I mean, the style of wrestling he wrestles. He, he got over as a junior. He got first. over as a junior, and I mean, he carried that up to the heavyweight division. I mean, he's so athletic. I mean. Um, and then you, you look at like the monster gaijins, you know, the Vaders, the freaking Dr. Deaths and the Stan Hansons and Cody's nothing like any of those guys. I guess you could say Cody is maybe akin to like, not to say he's as good as Ric Flair, but maybe something like a, a more classic standard wrestler. I don't know too many of them. I don't know, maybe Johnny Ace, but maybe Johnny Ace is one of the only guys I could think of that like really got over in Japan wrestling that way. But Cody's been, every time Cody goes over there, I mean... Maybe it's just because he hasn't had enough time or in front of the cameras or like something about his uh, gimmick doesn't translate yet, but they they don't care about him at all. Yeah. (laughs) They Uh, don't care about him in Japan. Yeah. Personally, I think he just needs more time over there. He's only been over there a handful of times, not as much as times as the Young Bucks and uh, even Marty Skrull. But there's uh, other guys like Marty Skrull's a great example who, because of his gimmick, is just over right away. Right. And because of his in-ring work, he's over night one, whereas Cody's had... They put him in prominent matches. He had the match with Juice last year. He went over on Elgin. Um, he had the match with Okada at Long Beach. Now, that was his best match I've ever seen Cody in. And, I mean, of course it was with Okada. And I think that that does answer some of the question that you have, Rich. Is Cody, can Cody be – is he good? Yes, he's very good. I don't think I've ever – I don't think I ever see Cody in anything less than like three to three and a half. So – and, I mean, the three – we live in a six-star generation, of course, but right. three stars used to be, mean that this was a decent to passable match. It's a good match. Uh, I thought that match with Okada was like four and a quarter, maybe right. like, like around there. It was very, very good, and I think Cody could be great, um, but you know he's still young. The, the The jury's out on Cody. I mean, you would you what would you say? Yeah, I mean, oh, give us some more time. Let's. I would like to see. I would love to see him in the G one next year. I didn't think he got the opportunities to be great when he was in WWE. And some of the times where they did let him try to deliver, he did. Um, but then they, they would pull back on his push. Um, right. That's, you know, in WWE, that start and stop pushing on certain guys. They give you a little bit and then they pull the rug underneath you. In Ring of Honor this year, from what I've seen, I really haven't been too impressed, to be honest with you. In fact, his last match I saw, I was underwhelmed significantly. I think Cody, I think Cody has enough tools and talent to be better than what he is. But I don't think Cody's bad. Cody is good. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's our answer. Cody's good. We'll see if he's great. All right. All right. And the last question in the mailbag comes from Dylan James, one of the most active members in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. That's our community group on Facebook. And he's a member of Team Instinct. 
What's the uh Oh for uh Pokemon Go? Yeah, wasn't that his uh his uh, <laughs> picture for a long time? <laughs> I think so. It was uh the Zapdos or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I it's not Mystic and it's yeah, yeah I think it's it's uh, instinct. Yeah, yeah, team instinct, what's up? Alright, so he says, even if New Japan went live on Access TV, would they be considered to be competition for WWE in the US if it were to remain on Access TV? Um, that's a pretty loaded question. I mean, well, we have to suppose a couple things. When you say if it went live on Access TV, so we're assuming, uh, do you mean like live weekly or live like ever just for some big shows? And by live, in order for them to run live in the U.S., they have to run basically in the U.S. because there's no way they're going to run live New Japan shows at 3 and 4 a.m. in the morning on access so that's one thing right. to clear up I mean, there no, yeah nobody's I mean you could always set your DVR but you know you want the live rating nobody's gonna wake up you know 3 o'clock 4 o'clock in the morning to turn to access to watch it um Fast forwarding, uh, you know, let's just say hypothetically New Japan in some capacity is running live in some either regular or semi-regular capacity here in America. Um, Are they going to be competition for WWE? Absolutely. They're competition. Are are they going to like overrun WWE or like take over? Absolutely not. Yeah, WWE, I mean, they are the top promotion in America and I think they always will be. They're so established. I don't think anybody is going to come and knock them off. When you when you look at the production value and that, just think about this, uh, Dylan, Vince, and <laughs> this is a WWE show. Um, how many shares did Vince McMahon just sell? Like millions. But how many shares were they? It wasn't that much. It was like. Wasn't it one million? No, I mean no. It was shares. Yeah. Man, I wish we would have done our homework because we didn't. I, I didn't think of this. All I know is that like he sold like a hundred and a hundred million like shares worth of stock, and he still has. I think I was reading he still has like eighty percent controlling vested like interest in the company. Right. So you're talking about a billionaire, a company that's backed by billions of dollars, billions. Um, <clears throat> there are other companies like Ring of Honor is backed by Sinclair, and Sinclair is much bigger than WWE. But the actual money machine that's invested in Ring of Honor, it's, it, it's not even hardly a fraction of what WWE gets. Same thing with New Japan. They might be the second biggest uh, company in the world, and they might be very lucrative and be doing well business-wise. But if you watch the shows like me and, me and Jeremy do, when they're touring, we talked about it earlier where they tour they're not running in 10,000 seat arenas every night they're running in like 2,000 2,000 2,000 I mean we saw in the world tag league I mean they're running like little gymnasiums yeah they run they run it's funny because they they run their uh, tour shows the same way that a local indie promotion in w, in North America or like in Europe, like Progress and all those guys might, or even RevPro. But then they run the big shows and they'll go to a giant arena or they'll go to the Tokyo Dome and they'll do big ticket sales. And they are the only co- one of the only companies out there outside of like Mexico and outside of America that are running small independent shows and then running big shows. So, but like, when you compare it to WWE, what WWE, even with WWE's house shows being down and everything, they're just they run arenas. That's all they run is arenas. All the money, the merchandise, the revenue that they they bring in. There's there really is no company. Even with New Japan getting on television, they would have a television product, but they would not have the touring power, the revenue. The, right. I mean, like, you'll never see a main roster show at a high school gymnasium. You'll see NXT in like a small little 500 seat building but you'll never see a main roster show in a 500 seat building I mean I think that their idea of their business model and success for them is very different from what we are traditionally used to seeing growing up in the 90s seeing companies like WCW and WWE we, we have a different idea but like at the end of the day the, the simple answer is there is no company in the world that's even a close second to the size and the, the, the power that WWE WWE has behind it even with a lot of the mistakes they make and and all, all the various different gripes people have they make money in spite of themselves right. they're making a lot of money but i will say this with the more and more um the new japan is on access and the, the better those shows do you are going to see more of an american footprint for the new japan promotion here and it's going to get more popular you're going to see more t-shirts and hot topics there'll be more shows here um 
I think I think them coming here doesn't threaten WWE as much as uh, I mean, yeah, it could be a threat, but at the end of the day, it benefits the industry. It benefits business for WWE to have a company that actually challenges them and gives them competition in any sort of sense and creates a different cultural like psyche of you know what is wrestling and and these different products that are out there and the more and more people become aware of it and, and get exposed to this type of wrestling and this type of product it's better for the health of wrestling as an industry which is what is needed um that's pretty much my take on it really right and um i'm glad you brought up access tv dylan because there's a lot of stuff to talk about with New Japan and Access TV. Uh, first of all, you know we briefly mentioned it on a show a couple weeks ago, but uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 will be airing on Access. Uh, what is it, the next day? Or th- it's No, it's two days. It's two day, the two-day tape delay. Uh, Three-hour special. They're showing the three big matches. The IWGP Intercontinental title match with Tanahashi against Switchblade Jay White. The U.S. title match with uh, Omega and Jericho. And the heavyweight title match with Naito and Okada. Um, I mean, this is a big um, Mark Cuban, he owns the Access Network. He had to pay a lot of money to get Russell Kingdom 12 to be on two-day tape delay. And uh, Mark Cuban also recently did a interview with Sports Illustrated kind of talking about um, New Japan's success on the network and you know how much of a fan he is of Jim Ross and he used to say you know he started tuning in just because he likes Jim Ross but <laughs> he's actually becoming a fan of New Japan and just how rabid the fan base is for the product it's interesting because and we've we talked a bit about this like you said a few weeks ago but I didn't think I didn't feel like we covered this enough because I mean this is a big deal you know Mark Cuban being the the founder and CEO of, of Access TV um, him just acknowledging the success that New Japan is having is a huge like boost just in general like it's a huge affirmation because they run their um, Access TV fights every single Friday night they used to have before New Japan was on it it was strictly MMA and some kickboxing they used to have uh, MM, like an MMA show with a oh man I, f- I think it was Marl Ranallo and Boss Rutten yeah, yeah yeah and it was a really good show and they cancelled that and then they they started bringing on the New Japan show a couple of years ago and he said that over the past few years I mean the New Japan show is not live except for when they did the G1 special last year or this past year um, you know it's a canned show it's on tape delay and I mean the matches that are happening happened a long time ago in most cases months ago and um, the fact that like the he said that these shows are getting higher ratings than the live MMA matches they're they're making money Access TV is making money by airing New Japan. The bottom line is they're profitable off of it. Exactly. And, um, you know, speaking of, we talked about the Long Beach show last year that aired live. Well, New Japan is coming back to Long Beach March 25th for the Strong Style Evolve show. Um, the website for that show is launched. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for tickets for that because it's going to sell out very quickly. What is it? StrongStyleEvolve.com or something? No. Uh, I mean, the best way to go, just go to NJPW1972.com uh, and you'll see the the link for it with the site there on the main page. I think they said the tickets are not out yet, but like keep it said just keep your eyes yeah. peeled. But you know that I'm assuming they haven't made the access announcement yet, but you can only assume that they are gonna air those shows live again. Well that's only one show this time well, he, on access. He mentioned he said that they're working with New Japan to create a relationship so that and this is what Mark Cuban was talking about to where he said that they want to do more live shows and if he's saying he wants to do live shows He's not talking about we we talked about this earlier. He's not talking about right. airing things at three and four or five in the he morning. He wants prime time, eight p.m. He wants more shows in the United States. That means United States television and programming. He and he he said that they paid a Jeremy said it, but they paid a lot of money. He said that they had to pay New Japan a ton of money to get that two day tape delay. And he said that throughout the year when these big shows are coming up, I'm assuming like things like Dominion and King of Pro Wrestling that they're going to show those sooner, like on a two-day right. tape delay. And I have to say, this year, 2017, they did a better job than they did in 2016 bringing the matches a little bit closer. They weren't 
as far out as they were before. They're actually probably only like a month or so off now. Well, they were like playing catch up for years, trying right. to like catch up to where they are now. And they, they've they just kind of started to get, I mean, we're like a month behind most of the time at this point right. on, on Access TV. Um, but w- going back to what we are saying, Essentially, Mark Cuban wants to have live U.S. specials. I think it's interesting how we're not getting a two-day show this time like we did for the G1 special for this uh, Strong Style Evolve show. It almost leads me to believe that maybe, just maybe, we might get a tour or multiple night uh, shows here in the U.S. in the near future throughout this year, possibly. Who knows? I mean, after the Long Beach show last year, they announced that they would be back. So after this Strong Style Evolve show, there might be, you know, surprise announcement that they're coming back again in 2018. So that's something we'll have to keep our eyes on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's all going to shake out for their U.S. expansion and, you know, trying to run their company as a regional promotion the way that a territory did, you know, out, out of California. I don't know how ultimately that will play out here in the U.S., but just the idea that we get more exposure in our time zone instead of having to watch it on delay is a really cool idea and the fact that a guy like Mark Cuban who's a billionaire and he owned the Dallas Mavericks and you know and he, he's like this tech icon <laughs> um, that he has this hot product on his radar and he's talking about it in Sports Illustrated it just goes to show you like how um, marketable New J- like a foreign product right. like New Japan is in America like I said the American footprint is going to keep getting bigger the hotter New Japan gets so uh, we're going to transition now great question Dylan <laughs> yeah <laughs> and guys feel free to keep sending us questions um, in the Wrestling Squared Circle group or you can tweet us at KI Strong Style retweet me at Jeremy L. Donovan uh, now we're going to talk about the Road to Tokyo Dome shows that happened on 12-17 and 12-18. I mean, these were, you know, okay shows. I mean, I would say the angles on these shows were more interesting than the actual matches for the most part. Would you agree with that? Don't ask me to talk about it. I'm pulling it up on my uh, on my <laughs> iPad. I have to remember what happened on these shows. <laughs> no, the uh, they were good. Uh, they were I mean, like, they were Road to Tokyo Dome shows. I mean, the Road 2 shows are, you know, they're they're not big shows. <laughs> right. They're just set up for the big shows. and um, But there were some a lot of news that came out of these shows. Uh, one of the big things that we talked about a lot was the never six-man titles being on the line. Um, Evil, Sonata, and Bushi defended the titles against... Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Bad Luck Fale. That was like, that was December 17th. That was a week ago. Okay. And like like you uh, said, you said, you know, that um, LIJ would probably lose the six man titles on a road to show. That's exactly what happened. Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, they defeated LIJ and became the new never six man champions. Yeah. Um,. I mean, that was interesting. (laughs) Uh, No, I watched both of these shows, you know, and uh, the burnout from watching Tag League the way that it was, um, you know, it was nice to have a little break and then to kind of jump back into these Road 2 shows. And I mean, they were were easy to, like, digest. There was nothing that was, like, blow away. This, like, the never open six-man tag match was just okay. Um, They did work me a little bit. There was a point where... um, Because I knew... I. I mean, obviously, I knew that LIJ was going to drop the titles. It, right. It's the only thing that made sense. But um, there was a point in the match where they got... I, what's the what's the move that they... Is it ma- the Magic Killer? Yeah, Magic yeah. Killer. They stole that from uh, Guns and Gallows. Right. Yeah, so they got uh, Fale up for the... After Bushi sprayed him with the mist, and they got him up for the Guns and Gallows, or for the Magic, Magic Killer, Killer, all three of them. And when they dropped him, I was like... They won. I like. I, I, they popped me for a minute, and then, and then I had to re- like remember in my mind they can't win. And then the the pinfall got broken up, and then they ended up. Uh, how'd they lose in that match? Um, I, if I remember correctly, I believe Bad Luck Fale hit the grenade on, on Bushi. Bushi. He got his revenge on Bushi. Hit the grenade, got the pinfall, and now Bad Luck Fale, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa are your new never six man uh, champions, and they'll be defending those titles. At Russell Kingdom, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, um, you know, we, we can talk about the Young Lions matches, I guess, when we start to cover uh, the the tournament. But they opened both of these shows with Young Lion uh, qualifying matches for the tournament. Um, other than that, I mean, 
you know, there was some tag team, like multi-man tag team matches. There wasn't anything that was like really like blow away, really. We saw the uh, debut of Masked Horse. <laughs> well, we talked about that last week. We saw it on, on New Japan lineup. We were like, what is Masked Horse? Uh, and it ended up being uh, Taguchi under a lucha mask with like a why, horse. Why are you giving it away right away? <laughs> no suspense. <laughs> no showmanship. Hey, guys, this is what happened. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the first night, they were, you know, selling it pretty big. Like, who is this guy under the mask? The, the weirdest thing was those promo videos that they aired before, before he yeah. came out. Um, I think that may, maybe it's a cultural thing. I didn't understand because we can't understand what they were talking about. But I was like, what is this freaking video? video with right. this dude and then uh he came out and he was chewing on the carrot yeah and spanking himself with the the whip or whatever it right. is it was weird <laughs> yeah it was really weird but then the next night uh they ripped the mask off it was revealed that it was Taguchi. um i mean obviously if you everybody knew it was Taguchi, but everybody was playing along but it was the, the big reveal yeah the masks took off it was Taguchi. Um, they um the the uh, the promo that you told me about after the first night and then I went and watched it when he yeah, was like hilarious he's like um, I was abandoned by my parents and then I was raised by horses and then I got abandoned by the horses and I was raised by a pro wrestler and <laughs> trained in pro wrestling <laughs> and he's like I, I wrestle for my master and they're like who's your master he's like he doesn't want me to say but my movements are very similar to him you you'll be able to tell who he is when I'm in the ring and we're right. like what. Uh, I don't remember who it was. One of his teammates, uh, it might have been like Kojima. Yeah. After the like first night, and they were walking off, he was like, because uh, they were supposed to team with Tanahashi, and he, he's like, Tanahashi, please come back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it was Kojima. Yeah. yeah. He said Tanahashi, get yeah. He's like, hurry up and come back. Hurry up and come he, back. He walks off. <laughs> <laughs> then somebody was like, your voice sounds familiar. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was Kushida. Kushida's like, he's like, who are you? And he's like, um, uh, you know, nobody. And he's like, your voice sounds familiar. He's like, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I mean, the big, I guess the, um, you know, the, I'm trying to, th- oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, Suzu- there was the Suzuki gun match uh, against Hanari, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Liger. And, um, like, no, 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 I'm sorry. When when was the, when was uh, Minoru coming out with the Clippers? When was that? Was that was the first night because he shaved Yagi and Yagi was shaved for the second night. Oh my bad. So I'm I'm talking about the wrong Suzuki Gun match. Okay, so Chaos wrestled Suzuki Gun. That was a tag team match, right. and. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Suzuki comes out uh, with the Clippers, and he freaking shaved Yagi, the young boy, shaved his head yeah. after the match. Um, that was crazy. And, I mean, obviously, uh, it's been confirmed that there's going to be a hair match, so that's part of the gimmick. We'll talk more about that. But uh, that was one of the angles was, you know, Suzuki acting like a madman, walk, just going around ringside, like, threatening to shave people with the Clippers. But, yeah, but we can talk a little bit more about that hair versus hair match right now. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, when that was first announced or they were first doing that angle that was going to be hair versus hair, I was kind of confused. Yeah, and Why were they doing it? Like we, like we mentioned earlier, they don't really do gimmick matches like this. But then if you watch the promos with the English subtitles on their YouTube channel, um, Goto is so desperate to get back the Never title and get a shot at Suzuki that he's willing to put up his hair. That's all he has to give up to put on the line to get this never title match. Well, all throughout the tag tournament, he almost every promo he did was about Suzuki and Suzuki just kept uh, saying like, you know, why does he keep challenging me? I already beat him this year and I'm saying the same thing. Why does he keep challenging him? Where he saw Suzuki right, beat this man. Right. Um, and Suzuki basically was saying like, there's no reason to fight him because he has the belt. He already beat him. He's the better man. There's nothing really to prove. And I mean, he said it in his own Suzuki way. So while when we first saw this break, I was like a hair versus hair match. This is not Mexico. Right. And it's <laughs> this, like, it has uh, no meaning. Suzuki. I mean, his half of his hair is already gone anyway. Yeah, And Goto, like does Goto, Goto doesn't seem like a guy that would care about having a bald head or even having hair at all. Like he's, he, he seems like a pretty low key guy or like a pretty low maintenance dude. I don't think he's like a real, he's not like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a Tyler Breeze character where he really cares about his looks or his hair, you know? So right. it was how's really that, confusing at first. How's that shame? You know, but then um, as we started to w- go back and, and watch the uh, the English promos, which uh, for those of you who are listening, you can actually go on YouTube and go on the 
the New Japan uh, English page and watched the promos in English, and it kind of gave more insight where uh, Goto basically said that when he tried to challenge Suzuki, he said he wouldn't face him because he had nothing to offer. So he's like, well, I have nothing left to offer. So I offered to shave my head basically if I lose. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll be, he, the, the story is this is a man that's so desperate to get a title shot. He will literally risk anything he has to just to be able to get his hands on Minoru Suzuki one more time and get a chance at the never title. And then um, Suzuki basically said in his promo, Go- why does Goto care about his hair? So he asked the same question we did. And he said, ah, I get it. When the new trainees come in, they get their head shaved. So it's like it's it's almost like a demoralizing or like a, you you have to like hum- a humbling sort of right. experience. He's pretty much if he loses, he'll be he'll be lowering himself to young boy status. Yeah, he'll be lowering himself to the young boy status. And the other guy gets the champion, the championship. So then uh, that's why they made it a hair versus hair match. Uh, well, at first it was just Goto, but then as time went on. Uh, it seemed like Suzuki got so fixated on the idea of the Clippers and and laying it on the line that he said, all right, whoever wins this match, not only do they get everything, they get the title, and the other guy gets the Clippers. Right. So whoever loses, so it's hair versus hair at this point. So either Suzuki or Goto is going bald in the, in the Tokyo Dome. Right. And then the, the final stipulation with that match... There's going to be no interference. Because That's right. Yeah, no seconds, as uh, Suzuki said in one of the English promos. You know, do, do, have you? Do you know what seconds out means? Are you like familiar with that? No, but I'm assuming that means like your seconds, like your, you know, manager or somebody that comes behind you comes second to you. Yeah, I was on the New Japan Reddit today, and a lot of guys didn't know what seconds out was, and I felt weird because I, I don't know. I guess I watch like a lot of anime with like boxing and stuff where, they. they the guy, your second is your corner man, or the guy that come, and that's, hey, uh, to Ricky and Clive, that's another thing. In New Japan, they have a lot of seconds, guys that come and manage the other guys. But anyways, um, obviously there's a lot of interference with Suzuki and his handlers, and so a lot of people on Reddit were like, what are seconds? Like, because they were literally thinking of seconds like in time. Right. And I was thinking, oh, it's the guy that comes out with you in trains. So it's weird that people don't know that, but right. uh, anyways, Goto basically in a promo told Suzuki you cannot win without interference basically and that infuriated Suzuki to the point he said all right at this point I'm gonna prove I'm the better man I'm gonna humble you Goto I'm gonna shut you up once and for all hairs on the line titles on the line no interference no one's allowed chaos not so allowed that means to be- no Takamichi no who no Desperado no Izuka no Taichi no Taichi no, no Kanemaru. No KS. Yeah. They're, they're none of them. And no Chaos. So there's going to be no Suzuki Gun, no Chaos. It's a straight-up one-on-one fight to the finish, and whoever wins gets the belt, and whoever wins gets uh, the Clippers, yeah. which is pretty cool. So. And then um, the last match of that show was the... Uh, so we got two nights of this, and we can cover it, I guess, both nights. Is uh, We got Okada and Yoshihashi the first night against uh, Takahashi and Naito, and then we had another tag match the second night with... Yes, uh, Okada and Rapungi 3K. That's right, six man. Against uh who was that? Naito who else was on who's on Naito's team that night? I can look. Okay. Um oh Bushi and Takahashi. Oh yeah, so it was juniors and juniors and right. heavyweights, yeah. Um so yeah, so at the end of the first night in that tag match, like he said it was Okada and Yoshihashi against Naito and Takahashi. Uh, Okada, he used that new Cobra Clutch submission on Takahashi, tapped him out. He uh, put Naito in it again, right? Right. Well, it's like the fourth or fifth time he's done right, it. Right. Well, he, first he refused to break the hole on Takahashi, and uh, Naito tried to break it up, but uh, Okada was like no selling the kicks, but then uh, Okada left him laying with the tombstone and the rainmaker. Um, and, That's right. And then the next night was a six man tag. At the end of that show, at the end of that match, you had um, Naito pick up the win. He hit the uh, Destino on a believe show. show. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, Naito got the win there. I'm still not sure which one's show and which one's Yo. To be I know I'm having <laughs> I'm having a hard time figuring out which one's show and which one's Yo. I gotta like. Oh, it was actually it was actually Yo that he, he hit the Destino on. Um, and so then after the match, they kind of went back and forth on promos. And then um, 
Okada eventually locked in that Cobra clutch on Naito, but Naito countered and hit Destino. So I w- yeah, so I guess you know we talked about this in the last show where you know the uh, this Cobra clutch finish is supposed to be some sort of big counter to stop the Destino, and he's put it on uh, Naito and left him laying in the ring more than on more than one occasion so far, leading up into their match at the Tokyo Dome. So on the final night of the Road to Tokyo Dome, Naito countered it, but I wasn't really impressed with his counter because his counter was essentially when he when he goes to uh, put on the um, um, the Cobra Clutch, Naito yeah. like arm drag. Yeah, it was him. pretty much just like an arm, it's drag, just an arm drag or like a gap throw. It wasn't anything like big. Yeah, so it wasn't anything where I was like, oh, that's devastating. I don't know if that's officially the his counter. But he's proved that he can counter it. Right. So maybe at Wrestle Kingdom, he'll pull up a better counter for and then it. He, and then he kicked Okada in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And then hit, hit him with Destino. The interesting thing was the first night when Okada uh, was left standing tall, it was cool. And then he came, you know, to the back and he cut a promo. But the the second night when Naito uh, was left standing tall, they rained like snow, like confetti, and it right. was like a championship celebration. Like, and all he did was kick this man in the balls and freaking <laughs> uh, hit his finisher on him. Um, I was really, I was surprised by that because I guess the idea is to leave Naito looking strong to really create the doubt in in people's minds that hey he's capable of winning the title which he absolutely is right but i was really puzzled a little bit by that and like it reminded me of when i was at uh it reminded me of when i was at SummerSlam 93 and they rained the confetti for lex luger he didn't win the title and i was confused when i went or the the balloons and i, I went home and i thought he'd won the belt right and my dad had explained to me no he won by count out and i was like wait then why did they drop all that confetti and balloons you mean he did not win the belt i i you know, I couldn't understand that, but I was wondering, um, do you think that them leaving Naito standing tall like that is an indicator? I mean, if, if this is WWE, we know Naito's not going to win the belt, essentially. <laughs> I don't I know. I mean, personally, I mean, uh, next week we're going to do our Wrestle Kingdom 12 preview and predictions, but I'll just say it right now. I personally, I think LIJ are winning all their matches at the Dome. I think Naito is going to win the title. Do you think? Um, do you think that them like leaving that scene that way was a precursor to what's actually like going to happen, or is it something that's supposed to like create doubt in people's minds, or what? You know, what were they I'm, doing? I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's, it's creating doubt, like you know, can Okada withstand another intense title match, or you know, is Naito going to do the same thing here and get the win? And you know, this feud has become more has started to become more personal. Um, Naito won MVP in Tokyo Sports. We, we mentioned that last week. Yeah. He also won um, MVP in um, one of the weekly um, pro wrestling magazines. Oh, so he won in weekly pro and in Tokyo Sports. Right. So Both. He, he won two MVPs. And so... You oh, know, you were saying that earlier, and I was you were saying that we were going to cover that today. And I was like, uh, we already covered that last week. And then it just dawned on me. You're talking about weekly pro. Right. Weekly pro wrestling reader wow. awards voted uh, Naito as the Japanese MVP and the most popular wrestler. Man. So um, Okada has been kind of throwing that in Naito's face, especially after night one. He was like, oh, I bet you're happy being, you know, MVP. Well, that's not me. I'm a pro wrestler. Yeah. Like, I'm happy winning. He was like, I bet you... Basically, he left uh, Naito laying in the ring the first night, and then he was like, hey, hey, big man. Yeah. <laughs> like Ric Flair. Hey, hey there, big man. No, but he's basically saying, hey, you know, you're the MVP. You're, yeah. yeah, you're the MVP, you're the MVP, but I left you laying. Hats off to you, man. You're, like, you're the big draw around here, right? But I left you laying, right. and I got the gold strap. That's right. He's like, I'm the champion. Like, you can be the MVP all you want, but I'm the IWGP heavyweight champion. Hey, to be the man... You gotta beat the man night, so that's what he's basically saying. And then, uh, so going on like to the second night, what were you mentioning there? So yeah, so before that whole uh, encounter happened, they were kind of going back and forth about on that promo. Um, pretty much, Okada was kind of throwing that in Naito's face about the whole MVP stuff. Um, that was kind of like the breakdown to their brawl. Man, it's interesting. I didn't realize he won it for Weekly Pro too. Have you ever seen the Weekly Pro and Tokyo Dome show? I have not. Oh man, that. So that's a really interesting story. Uh, in 1995, 
Weekly Pro, which is, aside from Tokyo Sports, the other largest public, and I think at the time was like the largest publication for uh, Pro Rezu and all wrestling in Japan. They decided to run their own um, wrestling show, spot like their own sponsored wrestling show that they held, and every single major promotion in Japan had a match represented on the show. So there was like IWA, All Japan, New Japan, uh, and then all sorts of like independents. And it's like one of the most famous, they, uh, it's one of the most famous like, um, like cards in in like rest in Japanese wrestling history because it was like sixty thousand people in the Tokyo Dome, and uh, the top two matches was All Japan and New Japan. And in the All Japan match, they had a six man tag that uh, Dave Meltzer said was like five stars, and it like blew everything on the show away. <laughs> and then in the main event, they had uh, Chono and I think Hashimoto. Maybe it was Chono and Muda or Chono and Hashimoto, and it like stunk up the joint, and people like were literally leaving. And because New Japan was the bigger uh, company at the time and had more sway they literally put an injunction on weekly pro from ever releasing the tape and so it never got released commercially at all because they didn't want their biggest competitor it'd be like if wcw put on a show last that sucked in wwf at the same time it put on a show that was like five stars right before it right they wouldn't want that to be the re-release yeah yeah yeah. so it's but you know what the interesting thing is you can find this this entire show on youtube you can find it's a long show it's like five or six hours but you can't there's no tape that exists of the main event you can't find it that's interesting yeah um also on night two of the Road to Tokyo Dome show, Tanahashi returned. Oh yeah, the uh, Tanahashi promo. Yeah, that he, was yeah, crazy. He returned and he was attacked by Switchblade Jay White. Yeah, he came out and like made an announcement just that like, hey, my knee's getting better. You know, this is what's going on. Uh, let's talk about Tanahashi's hair for oh, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I I was watching this and doing a little bit of tweeting at our on our show account at KI Strong Style and I said, What is Tanahashi <laughs> doing with his hair? It's like a mess right now. I was like, who is this woman that's calling herself Hiroshi Tanahashi? <laughs> and why is she in the ring right now? Yeah. I, I did not understand who even though he's the ace, man, he's got to get a handle on what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he needs to tighten up with his, his hair. <laughs> but like you mentioned, yeah, he said that he was getting better, and he, he will be at the Tokyo Dome to defend the IWGP IC title. And then all of a sudden, Jay White comes down the aisle, and uh, you know, comes in the ring and starts confronting him. And you know, he's he basically. Uh, Tanahashi takes off his jacket. He's like, hey, you want to do it? We can do it right, right. now. And then Jay White takes off his jacket, and then they go to blows. Jay White, I think Jay White said, you don't want to do that. You don't remember what happened last time we were in the ring together. And then uh, they start going to blows. Uh, I think Tanahashi was getting the better of the exchange. Right. First. And then and Jay he, White did like a chop block or a He drag- attacked the knee. knee. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, he did He did a dragon screw. Yeah, he attacked the injured knee. And yeah. then uh, he, he uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he put him in the... Um, the freaking Gary Goodridge UFC spot where he he uh, put him in the crucifix. He tied up his arm and his yeah. leg, and he started elbows. elbows and hammers. Like, uh, have you ever seen that clip with Gary Goodridge? He knocks that dude out. No. Oh, you <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I gotta show you. Yeah, this, bro. we'll watch that. It's, it's like one of the most famous like UFC <laughs> knockouts ever. It's like it's it's like a twelve second match, and the guy gets caught in that that, that same spot, and he but he goes to sleep for real. And so, anyways, Tanahashi literally got left knocked out. So. In the Second time in a row, Jay White has left Tanahashi laying. Um, yeah. Do you think this is too much too soon for Switchblade Jay White? Um, you know, I'm a fan of the product, but I can't say that I've seen a lot of Jay White. I hear he's very good. Uh, a lot of people are predi- a lot of like New Japan fans are predicting that he's going to be like one of the next big things. I saw him wrestle WrestleMania weekend last year, um, and he was pretty good. But there was nothing that to me that indicated like this guy's going to be the next big star. So when he came back and they gave him this push, I didn't really know what to make of it, and I still kind of don't. Um, I am surprised that they're putting him in such a prominent role. I don't think that like Gato and those guys though would do this if they didn't have some sincere faith in him and I don't think Tanahashi would work this program with him unless they really really saw something in him wrestling Tanahashi in the Tokyo Dome is a very big deal it's almost like wrestling the Undertaker at Wrestlemania not anybody got to do it it's usually somebody you know the company has faith in somebody that's special Um, I um, you know 
I can't say that I know that it's going to be a great match or anything, but I feel like they've been putting him over huge in yeah. these last two these last two segments that they did back in uh, what was that? That was Power Struggle the first time he attacked. Yes, him. Power Struggle. Yep, the same night that Jericho was there. Yeah, so that was Power Struggle. And then you know the second time, I mean, he really left Tanahashi laying. I felt bad. I was like, man. He freaking knocked out the ace again. Like, <laughs> well, well, it's funny. I told uh, Rich this the other day. I was like, they JY can do whatever he wants, but he better not injure Tanahashi so we can't see him WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> um, I did. I, I caught his promo after the match, and he, you know, essentially, I thought his promo was pretty good. J, uh, J. White's promo, yeah. I saw but that. he said something to him. He's like, he's like Tanahashi, you can call yourself the ace all day, but you're not the ace. I see it in your eyes. You don't believe it, and I definitely don't believe it. You're not the man that you once were, and I'm going to prove it to everybody. I don't know. Something about that just – it really, like, reminded me of, like, Owen Hart telling, like, Bret Hart that he's going to take him out, you know, right. this like this young upstart kid. Also kind of remind me a little bit of uh, legend killer Randy Orton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a little bit of, like, that, that young Randy Orton flair to it, uh, you know, telling, like, Mick Foley how he's going to put him out. <laughs> um, so I'm excited for it. I thought that was the best. Uh, angle of the second night for sure. Yeah. And then also um, there was a press conference after that second night and it was announced that... Oh, the next morning? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, before the show then. Uh, it was either before or after the show. Was it? Man, we don't know. We're in America. Yeah, I don't... I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the press conference happened the same day. It happened, guys. <laughs> and it was announced that Jericho versus Omega is now no disqualifications. That's... In a way, huge, and in a way, not really a big deal at all, all at the same time. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. In New Japan, like we mentioned earlier, they really don't do gimmick matches. They really don't do no disqualification matches, partially because of the refs usually let them get away with doing whatever they want anyway. You hit it right on the head. <laughs> so that's why I was like, it's a big deal because they don't do gimmick matches, so it's a huge deal. But then the fact that almost every match feels like it's a no DQ match makes it seem like why is this even a gimmick <laughs> which, which means they're probably going to take it to like a whole nother level like they're yeah. probably going to do crazy spots and honestly I think this no DQ stipulation helps Jericho because you know he is older he's not the same you know Jericho and he's very prime and they can rely on the no DQ gimmick to help get a better match. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that, and I, I see where you're coming from. That I don't, uh, I I think that could be partially true, but I don't fully agree with that. Um, I thought that Jericho's match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania last year was great. I think Jericho at this point, especially with a worker like. Kenny Omega, are they capable of pulling out a four and a half to five star match in a, in the standard?